Welcome to the Vine Podcast. This is Warren, and I'm once again joined by Jason today. Good morning, Jason. Good morning. You know, the last time we um, we met and recorded a podcast, we said how it was going to be irregular and we weren't going to post as many episodes, but here we are just a couple of weeks later, and, you know, it, it's like we're back on a schedule now. Yeah, ironically, we said it would not be an every other week schedule, and now and here we are every, yeah, it's every, every other, other week. week. Yeah. yeah. So that works out. So what, uh, what we wanted to do today, we, this past Sunday, we started a, a combined uh, adult and high school class on the topic of, well, the, the title that I ended up going with, with uh, for the class is simply affirming. And we're exploring kind of the theology of an affirming approach to, to sexuality and scripture or, or potential paths to, to get there. And we had grand hopes and plans of recording that or live streaming that in some way. And because of various issues and complications that did not get, get done on Sunday. And so we thought we'll just record a version of it for the podcast. So going forward, we still have plans and hopes of, of recording those classes in, in some way, either audio only or, or live streaming them. But for today, we're going to kind of recap what we did in that class so that for those who were unable to be here or want to share some of that information with others, there's a way to do that. So this is going to kind of be a podcast version of, of the introduction to that series. And, and mainly today, what we're going to do is just kind of set up that series and, and also talk about what, what I'm calling, uh, or actually what I should say, what David Gushy calls paradigm leaps, because I think that's a good way to kind of leap or jump into this conversation, if you will. And so, Jason, to kind of get that going, I think you asked a good question in, in our class on Sunday, and, and I want to kind of start here. What can maybe I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on because you asked me this on Sunday. When we say affirming church, that means different things to different people. What do we mean when we say that we are an affirming church? We may have covered this in, in the, the last podcast episode that we did, but, but just in case anyone hasn't listened to that whole episode, let's kind of recap that. What do we mean by calling ourselves an affirming church? Well, first of all, I, I uh, need to make sure that I give proper thanks to uh, Tom Clark, one of our members at The Vine, uh, who is... Uh, uh, part of the LGBTQ community back months ago as we were um, deciding, you know, making some decisions about how to reach out to the LGBTQ community um, in in Temple and Belton area, uh, we kept using the term open and affirming. And Tom made the really good point that, you know, there are a lot of people, especially those who are not associated with the church, who don't know what that means. You, you know, that sounds like code words. And at this point, you know, we've been using that language so much uh, and so frequently that, you know, it's it's just common knowledge among, you know, our immediate contact group at church that we know what that means. But Tom pointed out that even uh, gay and lesbian and, and transgendered individuals may not necessarily know what that means. They, they may not have a definition of that term because that's primarily a term used within the church. Um, and so we, we, when I asked that question in class uh, yesterday, it was more aimed at 
I, I don't want to make any kind of assumptions about language, about terminology, that uh, there are certain, you know, and, and this is common throughout religion, of course, and, and anytime you have a, a close-knit group of people uh, with a common vocabulary is that you end up with, uh, with words and phrases that mean something very specific to that group. And because we had so many, you know, fairly new people, uh, a lot of visitors there. In fact, there were a few people who were there for the very first time yesterday. Uh, I wanted to make sure that that we described what we meant by that. And so for the purposes of our conversation here today, I'll just say that, uh, you know, we use the term open and affirming um, in meaning uh, two, two very different but, but closely related ideas. The, the open part means that we don't want people to have to hide who they are. Um, and so if you are, um, uh, if you are gay, if you uh, have same-sex relationships, if you are married to someone of the, the same uh, gender, uh, we don't want you to feel like you have to hide that. Uh, same thing with uh, transgendered individuals. We don't want them to feel like they, in, in order to be part of a church community, they have to hide themselves. And so, um, and then also we want to be open in our acceptance and affirmation of them. And so that takes me to the second part, which is the affirming portion of that. Uh, and that in the conversations that we had as church leadership in, in discerning what direction to go with this topic, with this issue, um, you know, that was somewhat in contrast or, or, or another level besides open and welcoming. Uh, which is short of affirming. And so being welcoming might mean that, you know, we, we can be okay with um, gay and lesbian transgendered individuals coming to the vine, but we're not going to affirm their, uh, their identity as such. We're not going to affirm their, uh, their same sex relationships or their, their transgendered identity that, 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 that we're not going to affirm in by affirm. We mean, um, uh, recognizing that that is an indelible part of who they are and it doesn't sacrifice their, uh, their salvation. It doesn't sacrifice, uh, their, uh, their part, uh, their role within the kingdom of God, that they can be that person. They can be their person, uh, within the context of, uh, our Christian community. And so the affirming piece is just that, that, that we want people to feel affirmed as individuals, that no matter who you are, that that God loves you, that God has a, has a, a plan for you, God has a role for you, uh, and that we as a church want to affirm that part of of your identity as we would with anybody's identity uh, or, or any any other aspect of someone's identity. And so, open and affirming basically means that we can come. Uh, fully as we are, um, and that we can be affirmed as we are, and that uh, and that we don't see issues of gender and sexuality as uh, as it's defined by it within the LGBTQ community. We don't see those as barriers to salvation. We don't see those as barriers to uh, uh, you know having a place in the kingdom of God, and therefore we don't see them as barriers to being fully embraced and active members, participants, and ministers within our church uh, family. 
It's interesting you said that about kind of what what you think open means because I don't think we have as clearly defined that aspect of it as we've talked about kind of what what does it mean to be affirming. Right. I I, I threw that out there. You're right. We have not defined that as clearly, but that's kind of how I've, you know, defined that in my own head. Yeah. And uh, I I think for me, I've I've connected um, even specifically the word open to more inclusive uh, matters of specifically probably gender and like mm. where are um, are there lines for, for instance, women to be involved in leadership or, um, you know, to have a voice with within the church, and right. and I I, I kind of connect open to that, and, and I think that is a common thread amongst a lot of of open and affirming churches is that in addition to to not having barriers for LGBTQ people that there are also not barriers for women in terms of leadership and, and places of involvement along those lines as well, which, which I think is another aspect of, of, of what we have moved towards as well. Right. I think that is, um, that I think that's probably a more common, uh, and useful definition of open, um, in the sense that, you know, we, we're open to having, people in leadership who are, you know, part of the LGBTQ uh, identity, uh, that we're open to having, uh, you know, people speaking in worship and participating in the leadership of the church and in the ministry of the church uh, who are, you know, actively and openly uh, LGBTQ individuals. So, yeah, that that's probably a, a more common way to de- describe it. Um, but but I have my own kind of ideas about that as well. Well, and I mentioned that in part because I was um, in a conversation I had with, with our friend Sally Gary, who runs Centerpiece um, in Dallas. She had mentioned to me that she doesn't think that a church who can't get to a place where they are egalitarian in their views on men and women can get to a place where they are affirming in terms of sexuality. And which I thought was an interesting statement um, that that basically that if you can't cross that hurdle, then then you're not going to you're not going to get to the next one. And um, I also think, you know, just and some of this is probably recap and and we kind of understand that. But just to be clear, because, Jason, I think you said something like um, we, we affirm people as they are. And I think what some people hear in that is that things like transformation don't matter and and that being transformed by by God's spirit and, and by the message of Christ don't don't have any value anymore. And that's not what we are saying as a church. That's not what our, you know, our LGBTQ members believe. Uh, we think that transformation matters and that we all are called to to be transformed by by the love and message of Christ but that someone's sexuality and and identity gender identity is is not part of that that's we we are accepting of of that and think that that is not something that that those individuals are being called to to change now we also want to affirm we may have lgbtq people who feel like they are called to a life of singleness and if that's the case then we want to be supportive of that and and encourage that and that's great but if someone doesn't feel that way and feels called to get married and, and lead that life, then, then we are affirming of that as well. 
Um, and so one of the things that, that we kind of, how I, I thought I wanted to begin this series, because we're going to get into over the course of this series, um, what are commonly called the clobber passages, because I know that's a common question. Okay, so if you're going to head in this direction, what do you do with these passages of scripture that seem to condemn or, or prohibit uh, same-sex, uh, at least activity or behavior? What do you do with those? And, and so we do want to cover those and, and we want to, we've always wanted to make sure that, that we have strong theological kind of underpinning and, and reasoning for heading in this direction, that it has to be more than, well, we, well, this just feels like the right thing to do. Um, where, where are we coming from theologically? How does this make sense with the way that we read scripture, with the way that we see God, with, with the way that we see, um, our call to, to be followers of Christ in Temple, Texas in 2022. And, and so part of that involves reading those specific passages and, and saying, okay, so how do we read these? What do these mean in our, in our context? But, but before you can even get there, I do think a, a good place to start is to examine this concept of, of paradigm leaps. And I have typically used a phrase like paradigm shift, but uh, David Gushy is the one who uses paradigm leap, which which I think is is helpful because it it does get at this idea that what often happens is 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 very much more than a shift. It's a leap from one way of thinking to another, and and that may happen gradually over time. But I think even when when it happens gradually over time, there seems to be one singular moment or occurrence or or circumstance or something that is kind of a singular um, event or occurrence that begins that process. And and it is usually large and kind of life altering, in some cases, world shattering. And and there's something that happens in a lot of cases that kind of pushes someone in, in a new direction and in a new way of understanding the world. And, and so when we say the word paradigm, that's really what we mean is basically, how do I view the world? What is my worldview? What is the lens through which I see the world? And in order for that to shift, in order for that to change, it usually requires a lot of intentionality or some type of event that's going to cause me to look at things differently. And, and I know, Jason, that you've, uh, you've shared a lot about just kind of your, your views on, on paradigms and, and the difficulties that can be associated with, with shifting how we think about things or accepting new information that would cause us to, to change something about the paradigm that we're currently operating with. Yeah, and I also want to point out that uh, paradigms should not shift, uh, should not change regularly they should not change haphazardly that our paradigms are in place because they are important for how we see the world and so i don't want to to give the impression that we're taking lightly at all uh the notion of changing and uh, a paradigm you know ha- engaging in a paradigm leap of some kind that's not a uh, a small task and it's not a, a delicate or it's not a um a, a task that we should engage in frequently, but it is something that sometimes in our life we do need to engage in. There are times in our life where we have to reevaluate 
kind of how we have viewed the world. It's not just a belief system. A paradigm is not just what you believe. What your beliefs are a big part of it, but it's also around how you interpret the world consciously and subconsciously. So when I see something, what is my kind of gut reaction to it? And so a lot of times the challenging aspects of making that paradigm shift is pushing through those kind of gut reactions out of habit or, or, you know, the gut reactions that happen because we have a habit. I have a habit of viewing the world in a particular way. And if I'm attempting to shift my paradigm because I've become convicted about uh, how my previous paradigm was incorrect, there's going to be a period of time when despite my cognition, despite my kind of change in belief, I'm going to have an aversion to uh, to seeing it differently. And when I'm encountered with that, I'm going to have a gut reaction that's like, ooh, this doesn't quite feel right. And it and it's not necessarily it doesn't feel right because it isn't right. It doesn't feel right because it is so counter to how I have viewed the world for so long that my my habits of thought, my habits of feeling um, are still in place. And it just takes time to push through that. But again, we shouldn't do it deliberate or we shouldn't do it haphazardly. It needs to be done deliberately and probably fairly rarely because that it's these paradigms that kind of keep us, uh, you know, as people of integrity. It's these paradigms that help keep us in in a place where, uh, you know, we we are discerning things appropriately and responsibly. Um, but this is an area where uh, at least you know, at our church and in our, and in our personal lives, we've decided that we needed a paradigm shift. And so we've pursued that. But that's not that doesn't mean that we should pursue that, you know, every time the the mood strikes us for different issues. And it also doesn't mean that it's going to be, you know, easy and, and no one's going to have any kind of like gut reactions, uh, you know, kind of kind of from from the previous way of thinking. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I think one of the reasons that this is helpful for me, I think, is that a lot of us who have um, who have come to an affirming view of, of sexuality in Scripture, um, have it has been a journey, and it has been a journey from one way of reading and interpreting Scripture to a new way of doing so. And And so I think, like, for me, for instance... It was a long process, and so as we are now going through this process of, of leading a church in that direction, one of the things that's helpful for me is to kind of look back and reflect on where I've been and what I've done, and and I think this idea of a paradigm leap or a paradigm shift is helpful because it, it kind of gives language to some to some things that that's some of us, many of us who are here at this point, I think, have already kind of gone through. Um, and, and I think it's helpful to give language to that. And I think it's helpful to look then to scripture and to say, this is actually not, not, not only is this in keeping with what we think scripture is calling us to do, but we see these very same things, I think, happening in scripture. Uh, it's my belief that we are following the pattern that we see in scripture when we allow new evidence and experiences to shift and change our approach to scripture and church and faith. I think all of those things are happening within the pages of scripture. 
And so I think that's important to remember because there, there is a constant, I think, push from sort of mainstream Christianity or maybe our friends and family, whatever, to say, hey, you're abandoning scripture, you're abandoning the gospel, you're going against what scripture says when you do this. When, when my response is, actually, this is exactly what we see happening in, in scripture. We, we see happening in multiple occasions in the New Testament where, where people like Peter and, and Paul and others are taking in new information and are, are encountering God in a way that is different from a way they have experienced before. And that causes them to go back and, and re-examine what they thought. It causes them to examine the, their paradigm. And, and I think that's important for us as Christians, as believers, as, as, as people of faith, to, to sort of understand and to recognize whether whether we're already kind of down the road in that journey uh, or are at the beginning of it. Because I think my sort of paradigm leap moment, as I've mentioned before, was, was my brother coming out as gay. That's what kind of initially caused me to start thinking about things differently. That was kind of the first piece of, of information that, that, started, um, that started that process and and I, I think we see similar things throughout Scripture of of moments um, causing people to to rethink and reexamine even even if from there it is a gradual process and an up and down nonlinear process that gets someone to a different paradigm or point of view because as you said there's moments of uncomfortable uh, uncomfortableness there if that's a word and, and discomfort. difficult yeah, discomfort sure. there's the good word that's an actual word um, <laughs> as you go through that process. Yeah. And I, I honestly think that there, this is, I, I think that's what people are experiencing when you hear someone say, well, you know, I, I see what you're saying. I actually agree with you, but I just can't go there. I just can't go there. I think what they're, what, what that is meaning to say is that 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 paradigm shift is so fresh and so new and cognitively, maybe they can get behind it but that that the pre-existing paradigm is so deeply embedded in how they view the world and how they experience the world that that discomfort is simply too much. And so I have I have a degree of sympathy for those folks who, you know, may maybe on a cognitive level can appreciate, you know, that particular uh position um but have a hard time going there themselves and may end up leaving, you know, I think we had some people who left the church uh, or left the vine when we made the decision to become open and affirming who on a cognitive level could understand, you know, the way this way of viewing scripture and, and perhaps could, uh, could, could see that there was some truth in it, but they just couldn't go there. Their paradigm, that discomfort with that paradigm shift was, just too great for them to endure. And, and so that's why I, 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 I don't feel any kind of resentment or anger or, or, or even judgment for those people just because I get it. Uh, You know, paradigm shifts are hard and sometimes it's difficult to, uh, to make that, that change. I think if, if divine had, you know, made the, now the vine wasn't in a position necessarily where this was going to happen. But twenty years ago, if the vine had decided to become an open and affirming church, 
I don't think I would have been able to go there. You know, I don't think that I could have been been a part of that at that time, just because that's that's not where I was, and and it would have been too too difficult. Well, you know, I've I've kind of as I've said before, I've been working through this and wrestling with it and looking at scripture and kind of reevaluating kind of what where I what I believe and how I view this topic, you know, for years now, and you know, this is where I am. I, so I, but I understand where people may not necessarily be there quite yet. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've said in other places that I'm pretty sure Warren of 15 years ago would not think Warren today is a Christian. So, so I certainly <laughs> understand that he would be pretty mm-hmm. disappointed. Um, and so, so paradigm leaps in scripture. I want, I want to think about a couple of those in, in our conversation today. And I want to start with one that I actually didn't even include in, in the class on Sunday, and and I included oh. several. So I Wow, podcast exclusive. Podcast here. exclusive. Wow, that's, that's I, great. I think I may have left out the biggest one in the New Testament, actually. If you kind of go past the gospels. Because I think obviously the whole I mean, everything about Jesus required a paradigm shift, right? The, the, the Jewish people are awaiting basically a militaristic leader to come and overthrow Rome. And Jesus comes and it's like, actually I'm gonna mm. I'm gonna die. And so mm. the, all of the Gospels, I think, are, are a paradigm leap that require, yeah. that require them to, to think about things differently in, in ways that are more monumental than, than we can ever even, I think, imagine. And it's one of the reasons why I think we give the, the disciples a hard time for always kind of failing to get it. And in which I don't know, I, so I'm kind of talking out loud here because I don't know that I've thought about kind of all of this in the context of what we're talking about with paradigm leaps. But, but repeatedly, when the disciples just don't seem to get what Jesus is talking about, uh, I do wonder if part of it is because they're still operating under this paradigm that is just not looking for what Jesus is doing. And oh, so, like, for sure. If, I, I don't wonder that at all. I think it's very... I think it's very certain that that's where a big part of the the problem with the the not only the uh, disciples but also the Pharisees. You know, so sure. many people, ev- pretty much everyone, uh, or almost everyone around Jesus, uh, as reflected in the Gospels, were struggling with paradigm shift. He was changing the the world order, but but more immediately, he was changing their expectations about what a Messiah was supposed to be about what, uh, what, what he was there to do and what the kind of lives and the kind of existence that, that he was calling them to have. And it was so radically different from what they had been taught and what they had been teaching and just the way they had been living their life and the expectations they had, you know, whether under, under Roman rule or, you know, living under the law, uh, that it was just, it was inconceivable to the, yeah, and so it seems like that's to, to me. I think that's why they just miss so much of what's happening there because they're just not right. they're just not looking for it. And so if you're not looking for it, you're not going to see it. Um, and and so that's certainly one. You could say all of Jesus's life, ministry, death is, is requires a paradigm shift to kind of get behind that and and be a person of who has faith in in that Messiah in that Jesus. And then if you go forward from there, you know, in Acts, and I, uh, I think you mentioned uh, Paul in, in class on Sunday, Jason, but I didn't, include, I didn't include that in my list because I think initially 
one of the reasons I didn't include that is because, uh, well, let me just say this. Paul has this obvious like moment, right, where Paul's on the road to Damascus, this famous moment where he's on the road to Damascus to imprison Christians, and he has this light come down from heaven and shines all around him. Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And that is like the moment of transformation for Paul where his life is completely different after that. Um, I don't think I included it in this because in that moment, there is nothing specific about what ends up becoming Paul's mission connected to that moment, I don't think. Because Paul's mission ends up becoming taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And so there's nothing about that moment that is that is reflective um, of what Paul's mission is going to become, at least in, in kind of the way that I was thinking about it. But as I've been thinking about it more, I, I don't think I, I completely still think that way because I do think it's in that moment that, that Paul's whole worldview just comes crashing down. It's like, man, here's what I thought about God. I had this paradigm. I had this worldview. I had this way of thinking about religion. All that is now stripped away. And what ends up being built back in its place is this idea that, goodness, Jesus is for everybody. And my task is to take that message out for everybody. And I've, I've been thinking about this all wrong. And all this stuff that I had previously thought was, was the important stuff, circumcision, rule following, keeping out you know, other people, all these things, that's not it at all. And so what ends up being built, the, the paradigm that, that ends up being built back is focused on reaching out to the Gentiles and bringing them in. Um, and so on first kind of thought and, and glance, I thought, well, that's not connected to what happens on the road to Damascus. But I think it completely is. That, that where Paul ends up going is the direct outpouring of his entire worldview just coming crashing down in that one singular moment. And so I think that's probably, I think, the most obvious paradigm leap singular moment that I didn't even kind of bring up on Sunday in our class. Yeah, and, and I think if you look at, the, at Paul's ministry, uh, you very easily can see how you know, he, he's a very sincere and I think genuine and uh, individual in his persecution of Christians. He truly believes that he is, you know, keeping his Jewish faith and heritage as he wants or as, as he believes God wants it to be. Right. That, that he is following the will of God. And that moment is a paradigm shift. Now, as you, know, you you did in class mention the um, the the transfiguration uh, of Jesus uh, with Peter James and John and uh, and how how that was a paradigm shift moment and how that's kind of the paradigm shift moment that we all want where the mm-hmm. clouds open up and you right. know you hear a voice from God saying hey this is it this is what I want this is who you should listen to and you know we see kind of a similar thing with uh, with Paul on the road to Damascus where, you know, something miraculous and, and awe-inspiring happens and you just kind of are slapped in the face with the reality that, 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 that God is, is pushing you in a particular direction. Unfortunately, a lot of the paradigm shifts sometimes can feel that way still, 
you know, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, maybe not in such a, you know, supernatural way, but I think that, that sometimes those paradigm shifts are kind of face slap moments. Uh, but a lot of times it, it really comes more from, you know, us just being open to the possibility that God may be shifting and God, or shifting in us, that God may be changing us. Um, and, and we have to be open to that as a possibility. And that's more often, I think, how it happens. Yeah. And I think Paul is a great example of, of something I've talked about before too, that, you know, Paul had probably heard, or I mean, I, I know he did, he'd heard about Jesus previously. And that's why he's putting people in jail. Cause he's like, this, this doesn't match up with my previous, with, with my current way of seeing the world. And so I'm going to push against it. Um, in very vehement and um, zealous terms, he's going to push against it. And, and it takes some type of personal experience to, to break him of that and to turn him towards something different. And as you said, you know, we, we may want that, that light from heaven moment that doesn't often come, but I do think it still often takes some type of experience or moment that opens us up to information that we might have previously rejected. And that's why I've, I've always been a proponent of, you know, if this is something you're struggling with, man, just listen to someone else's story. Um, whatever that is, if it's this situation, like with LGBTQ stuff, listen to the, to the stories of LGBTQ people. If it's uh, racism and, and trying to reconcile, well, I don't see racism still as an issue in our culture. Like, you know, well, for, for us, for someone as a white person to say that, uh, you know, <laughs> Um, if, if we're not listening to the perspectives and, and stories of, of African-Americans and other minorities, that, that rings a little hollow. And, and so to, to, to open ourselves up to the perspective and stories of other people, I think, can be part of those, those experiences that end up then allowing information um, to work its way in and to have a greater impact on us than it, than it would otherwise if if we don't have those moments and those experiences. And so the, the other then uh, paradigm leap moment that I wanted to talk about is, is from Acts 10. And like I said, I think I saw this one differently than one with Paul, because this one with Peter is very much, there's a direct connection that we see in the moment to something that Peter seems to be struggling with. And that is that, so in Acts 10, Peter has this vision while he's, when he's on his roof praying, and um, this, this sheet comes down out of heaven that's got all these animals in it. God tells him to get up and eat them, and Peter says, no, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. It happens again, uh, and, and the second time that it happens, God says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean, or this voice speaks this to him. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Happened three times. Uh, and so then, or right around that time, this Gentile man named Cornelius sends for, for Peter. He has kind of a vision experience of his own, is, is told to send for Peter to come to his house. So the men show up to invite Peter to Cornelius' house. And, and so when Peter gets to Cornelius' house, he says to him, he says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a, a Gentile. So this is a clear, like that is Peter's paradigm. Like if you want a clear understanding of paradigm and what a paradigm leap moment is, 
This is it. Peter's paradigm is Jews do not associate with Gentiles. That's the world that I know. His, his worldview also is I don't eat food that is unclean. So he has this vision um, of, of, of food coming down, of, of animals coming down, and God telling him to eat. And so he seems, though, to intuitively know that this, has, this is broader than just about food and about animals. Because the next thing he says to Cornelius then is he says, But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Which is a clear, like, just in that one statement, Peter is saying, this is the paradigm that I'm currently operating on, but I've had this experience, and so then I came without raising objection. And so then he basically says, so why did you call me? Which I think is just a great template um, for, like, what do we do with paradigm-shifting moments? And I wish I'd kind of thought about this previously, because Peter just kind of says, here's where I was, here's what happened, so I'm willing to explore and accept new information. So he asks a question. And the first thing that he does then after that is listen. And he ends up talking more eventually. But that kind of template of, I had this worldview, I had this experience, now I'm willing to listen to other information, I think is a good pattern for us to kind of follow and think about. Well, and honestly, I think that that is really the recipe for how we are to engage with and recognize our own humanity and the humanity of, you know, we don't have all the answers. We're never going to have all the answers. We're never going to have the wisdom of God. And so we do have to be open to the possibility that there may be notable and meaningful paradigm shifts that come our way throughout life. And like I said earlier, we can't, you know, be haphazard about that and just be floating with the wind, but we do need to listen. And, you know, in, in the work that I do in, in therapy, uh, I do a lot of couples counseling. And uh, one of the biggest problems that couples who come to see me have is that they're not listening to one another. They may hear what the other person is saying, but hearing is not the same thing as listening. That hearing means that, yeah, I can repeat back to you what you said. I know the literal definition of the words and I heard them. Listening I think the the key essence of listening is that I am open to the possibility that what you have to say may change something about me. Now, that doesn't mean that I am necessarily going to be changed, but I'm open to that possibility that that is not something I'm closed off to. And so I think that that really is when, you know, when when Jesus talks about, uh, you know, listening to to, to him and 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 when we read and talk about you know listening to the will of God, I think that's really what we need to keep in mind is that it's not just so much it's not as much a matter of well uh, you know I can repeat back to you what what you said uh, and and I think a lot of times when we talk about listening to God, it's more kind of looking for God to tell us what we want to hear. You know, I think very often when we use that phrase, that's more what we're talking about. But instead, when we listen to God, we need to be open to change. We need to be open that what God is trying to tell us may change something about us. And that may influence us in ways that we may not, you know, we, we may not um, necessarily know are coming or, uh, or be prepared for. 
so we have to be open to that possibility. And I think that that requires us to have a strong conviction, actually, about what we think and what we believe and what we read and to be well, you know, well versed in our own beliefs. Because then if we know what we believe, then we can engage more authentically and directly when, you know, those those questions or uh, the, the different paradigms present themselves and we can listen to them authentically. You know, people who know me know that I don't, you know, I, I don't accept necessarily the influence of others on my life very, uh, you know, very regularly. <laughs> uh, but I try to be open to that when it's when it's necessary, when I feel convicted to do so. And I think that that is something that that everybody, including myself, struggle with. Um, but I think that's an important part of continuing to grow in our faith. All right, well, we'll close out there for today. I'll pray us out, and then we'll uh, we'll we'll put a wrap on on this conversation for today. Yeah, and and hopefully uh, uh, at begin you know starting next week, it won't be just you and I talking, but we'll actually have some conversation and discussion from Sunday morning's class. We'll see, maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> we're we're just kind of going week to week at this moment in some ways, it seems, but. Yeah, we have, yeah, yeah, we have okay. hopes, that's and uh, if they don't work out, then we shift and do something else, and that's okay. So, yeah, let me pray for us. God, thank you for your love and grace. Help us to be grounded in, in a faith that is, is rooted in, in your love and, and has deep roots, uh, so that as we explore, uh, as we ask questions, God, we remain uh, faithful to you, and we thank you for... Uh, for your spirit and and for the opportunity to to explore and to discover and to to make leaps in our faith that that we believe God are are helping us to be closer to you uh, a a more full expression of the church that we believe you are calling us to be and and faithful to what we believe we see happening within the pages of Scripture. Uh, God, help us to to live in love and, and in grace and mercy this week. Pray all this in Jesus' name.